Hello, welcome in Kabistan. Thank you for joining me. My name is Hao. I am your occupational therapist and this is OT Conversations. In this session, we will be talking about a restorative restorative intervention and we will be talking about biomechanical approach or biomechanical frame of reference. Now, when you're using this frame of reference, this is very much applicable to those cases uh, that involves the lower motor neuron. So any problems or any conditions uh, where the central nervous system is intact, then this thing is very, very useful. So example conditions would be uh, cases like fractures, for example, or somebody who's had, uh, uh, who's been deconditioned because they have been unwell, uh, situations with hands or hand therapy. So this is where you would be using these frame of reference. Now, when you're using a biomechanical frame of reference, this ref, uh, this this frame of reference is concerned with three or actually four problems. There are four general areas where these things, if you have identified performance components and some problems pertaining to these performance components, then it's the biomechanical frame of reference that you would be using. Particularly, these four areas are the problems prob- uh, problems involving strength. So if a person is weak, so you'd be using biomechanical frame of reference. If there are issues involving the range of motion or the joint range, you'd be using biomechanical frame of reference. If there is an issue with endurance or activity tolerance, you'd be using this frame of reference. And if you have issues involving edema. So the first one is a problem involving the range of motion. So my tip and my suggestion to you guys is have uh, a look and there are plenty of resources out there uh, with regard to the normal values of the joint ranges. So we're not going to be discussing that in details at the moment, maybe in future podcasts if I am inspired to do so, but this information are all available, okay? So the one thing that you need to be familiar with are the, the, the normal ranges or the normal joint range. And again, as I was saying, there's lots of resources out there. The other thing that you need to be familiar with when you are moving the joints is this thing called end feel. So what is this end feel? So this would be how a joint would feel at the end range. And there are varying feeling, you know, so you have a hard end feel. So say you move the arm, for example, and say an elbow, if you extend it, the end feel of that elbow extension, that is a hard end feel. You know, you can feel it's almost bone to bone. So if you are familiar with that, then you know that when you move the joint, and uh, it, it, it feels soft and mushy, then you can actually tell that something is wrong. So being familiar with the end range or the end feel is, is important. So 
Uh, you can have a hard end feel. You can have a firm end feel. Like, for example, if I'm bending the wrist, so that should just be firm end feel. So there's nothing bony in there. Um, and then you can have a soft end feel. Uh, so when you're, for example, what would be a soft end feel? Like, um, you know, on the knee, when you, when you, when you bend it uh, and move it into flexion, you can see that it is a soft end feel because muscles to muscles are in contact with one another. So that is a firm, firm end feel. If I extend the fingers, for example, um, I should be feeling, uh, you know, like the the uh, uh, carpal metacarpal or metacarpophalangeal joint. You know, the finger when I extend it, that's just you know perhaps a, a a firm end feel. So that's very important. Once you know the end feel, then then you're you're all set. So two things that you need to learn once again when it comes to range of motion. The uh, normal ranges, which is, again, there's so many literatures out there, and then the end feel as well. Now, you in, can assess, if you want to assess the joint range, the outcome measure for this is a tool called goniometer. Yeah, so you can look it up. What does a goniometer look like? So it has two levers, and there are techniques on how to use it. This is particularly useful uh, if you're working in hand therapy, for example, because uh, if the, the, the objective is to improve the joint range, then an exact and precise measurement of the joint range is something that you would do. And with this, you need a goniometer. But I think nowadays there are so many uh, technologies that can probably uh, be useful. So there are cameras that take the measurements of the joints as well. Uh, but I've been so out of action for quite a long time. But manual is always easy to do. All right. So the joints can have a problem if if there are some injuries to it. So if, if the joint has not been moved for quite some time, it will develop some stiffness and you can potentially have some contractures and with that you will have problems with range of motion and the problem with range of motion is called LOM or there is limitation of movement or limitation of motion. So as this is a restorative intervention so if you have a problem with the joint range what do you do? All you need to do in terms of goal is to improve the joint range. And you can set that amount. So this is where you can actually be specific and measurable. So say, for example, you want to increase the, uh, um, the wrist, uh, the IP, the proximal IP flexion from, you know, by, by uh, say, 35 degrees so that you can passively move it to 90 degrees, you know, from zero degrees of extension all the way to 90 degrees flexion. So you can be very specific about uh, doing uh, the, uh, the joint ranges and you can set goals. So you can do this. How, how do you do this? So how do you measure or how do you now restore the joint range? It is very simple, isn't it? You know, all you do is you do some uh, passive stretching. Okay, 
you need to move the joint through the full range of motion as well. And to do that, some of the principles is there is a principle of stretch. So the technique would be a when you're doing the joint range, so the, the treatment for a impairment of uh, joint range is a, an active stretching or joint stretching or joint mobilization. Okay, so it's not PROMs. Although, because PROM is, stands for passive range of motion, that's the state of the range of motion if the person is, if somebody is doing it passively. There is also this term called AROM or active range of motion. So if the, you ask the person to move the range or the, the joint, they're moving it actively, but then it can be stuck because of tightness, for example. So that's what is the available um, uh, joint range for them because of pain. It can be limited by pain. It can be limited by swelling, by edema, or by tightness. And so what you do is you, you stretch it a little bit further. You push the joint to move a bit more, you know, by 10 or 15 degrees a bit more. Then that becomes the IARO or a passive range of movement. So when somebody is doing it on behalf of the patient, then that is passive range of movement. Now, how do you treat the range of motion? Very, very simple. So you do manual stretching. So you can actually stretch it and uh, you try and move the joint. First, you need to mobilize the joints. You know, you don't just stretch the, the joints, uh, you know, on your first session. You know, you need to ease the joint. You need to loosen it a bit more. Just move it gently. Um, and then you do some... Uh, so you do some joint mobilization techniques, okay? You can have some activities if you want, um, but this is, again, restorative activities. So you can have um, restorative sessions and restorative interventions, so you can choose to do some range of motion activities, some exercises that would stretch the muscles around the joint range, and then what you would do is you can actually do that stretching by pushing or moving the joint to the level where it is, uh, where where it ends, and then you slightly stretch it. So once it's there and once the person can tolerate it, you just stretch it a little bit more or give it a little more push for about 10, 10 degrees a bit more and then relax, okay? And then you move it again and then up to the level where it needs to go, then relax again. So there you go. So you've got that muscle, uh, manual stretching. You can actually use a traction as well. So how do you do some traction? It's a sustained traction or sustained movement. And you can use this and you can do this through the use of orthosis or splints. And orthosis and splints that you can, you should be able to fabricate. As an occupational therapist, it's one of the skills of occupational therapist that you should be able to make these splints. So when you're doing the gentle stretching, so these are some activities with small increments of gain over a period of time. So over a period of time, that's more effective than doing some vigorous stretching aimed at large gains quickly, you know, because what happens is there are some protective mechanism that takes place when you're doing it. And then the connective tissue, they just re resists quick 
and vigorous stretching as well. So it is actually better to take your time when you're doing some passive stretches, okay? Take your time, small increments, little by little, you know, be patient, it's okay, you know, you just do it very, very gently. So again, for the joint range, you can also use some joint mobilization techniques. Usually, these joint mobilization techniques are used by physical therapists, but occupational therapists may also find these techniques some useful and uh, you can do some manipulation but then manipulation by definition this is it's either a sudden thrusting movement of small amplitude or it is a steady steady controlled strength stretch strong enough to break some adhesions so manipulation can be a little bit painful uh, so sometimes, you know, this is done under an anesthesia. So unless you are working in musculoskeletal and you're a musculoskeletal occupational therapist working in the industry or industrial rehab, then you may not be comfortable doing this. But if you're working in hands, this is again uh, something that you can do. So you need to gauge it. That's why I was saying all the time, you know, yourself is a tool you can use yourself as form because you can analyze the movement, you can feel the movement, and it is a skill. You know, it's something that you just cannot read about. You need to practice and experience this. So that is the joints. So if you have problems with joints, do you know now how to, you have an idea of how to actually restore them. <laughs> Now, the next thing that we are going to talk about is uh, some situations about the uh, the strength, okay? So, when you're talking about strength, there are some grading systems for strength. And I, uh, again, I, I advise that you look up the different manual muscle testing or the grading system for for that. So it's typically 0 to 5. 0 is nothing, flaccid. 1 is where you would find some sort of a contraction or there's flickers on the muscle joints. So that is 1. Now you can have 2 minus as a muscle score. And what is 2 minus? 2 minus, it means that you can see that the joint is moving but it is not in complete range and it is gravity eliminated. So that is two minus. Then the next thing would be two. Uh, two would be uh, the person can move the joint within the full range and that is gravity eliminated. Now the challenge in using this method is that gravity eliminated and in full range, you have to be able to move the person in an, a, a, a particular situ, uh, position. Like for example, if you want to move the arm into flexion, gravity eliminated, how do you do that? So you just have to position the person into a side-lying position. And working in a hospital, that is a little bit tricky and that is somehow a challenging uh, position to assume. So the next muscle strength would be, again, 2 plus. And in here, again, it's less than full range. And, oh, it, uh, actually, 
its full range, but it is gravity eliminated, and then the person can resist it. Okay, so that's 2 plus. Again, when you have the full number, it means it's a full range. So the next would be 3 minus, and in here, so it's 3 minus. So 3 is against gravity. So the joints are moving against gravity, but not in full range. A score of 3, you would get a joint moving in full range against gravity. Okay, so you have a 3 plus, the joint is moving in full range, and that is with some minimal resistance against gravity. Okay, and then you can have 4 where you have moderate resistance, and 5 is normal or maximum resistance. Now, 5, the, the, the limit is that the you should be able to compare the movement of one side of the the body to the other side as well so it's almost difficult to aim for or strengthen a, a a limb and make it stronger than the other side yeah so that is strength so what is the principle of strengthening uh, the principle when you're doing a, a strengthening activities is what you do is you increase the stress or resistance on the muscle Okay, but you have the regular repetition. Okay, so for example, if I am to strengthen my biceps muscles and I'll do some biceps curl, curls and I wanted to strengthen myself, what I would do is I will have the same repetition. Okay, so you say for example, 10 reps, that's it, reps. And then what I would do is I would do start with 5 kilograms for 10 reps and then rest. Okay, You need to rest when you're strengthening because you're using up all the energy and you don't want to build up uh, all of those lactic acids in, in, in the upper limb. So you need to rest. You need the muscles to uh, get that, that blood supply again and get the energy again. Okay, So you want an aerobic um, uh, respiration rather than... Uh, anaerobic respiration so after that you've had a break so again it's 10 repetitions isn't it the next thing that you do is you do another 10 reps but with a higher resistance so this time you can do it with 10 kilograms 10 reps rest and then the next thing you do is uh say 10 uh, to 15 kilograms you know on over 10 reps as well so with this by increasing the resistance and the load then you are strengthening the muscles, particularly of the limbs. So when you're doing some um, strengthening, there are some parameters that you need to be familiar with. Like, for example, the parameters of the intensity or the load or the resistance. Um, you have the parameter of the duration. How long are you doing it for? Okay, what's the rate and how fast or what's the frequency and what's the number of repetition? And you would also be talking about the type of contraction. So you can you need to be familiar with the type of muscular contraction. So what does this mean? So what are some of the uh, type of contraction? Um, to increase muscle strength, you know, it, it can be accomplished by means of either isotonic or isometric contraction. Okay. Just remember the isotonic meaning one one part of the limb is moving while the 
so the the prime mover is is contracting while the the other side is relaxing so so that's the agonist which would be the the prime mover the the one opposite it would be the antagonist so it counterbalances it so you have the isotonic and isometric contraction now the isotonic contraction it has two forms so you can have the concentric contraction and in the concentric contraction so the internal force that is produced by the muscle exceeds the external force of the resistance and therefore the muscle shortens as well so that's one that's the concentric contraction and then another type of isotonic contraction is called the eccentric con contraction uh, and in here the muscle is contracting but it is lengthening you know rather than shortening so it is eccentric eccentric which is strange that's why it's strange because normally when a muscle is actually uh, moving and or contracting then you um, that's that's concentric contraction yeah towards the center and then eccentric would be something that is actually uh, lengthening now the isometric contraction so in here there is a uh, combination of contraction of both the agonist and antagonist so this is now isometric contraction meaning uh, both the agonist and antagonist they're both contracting at the same time and and this type is con uh, contra uh, of of contraction is 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 very useful for when the body needs to stabilize itself so this is the first thing that you do when you're sitting or you're working on the sitting balance and tolerance isn't it so when a person is upright in a sitting position all you want them to do is get that contraction coming in so it's all that that movement isometric contraction that's happening around the body so that is for the purpose of stabilization now if you have to lean and put weight on the arms as well so that is also a, an isometric contraction because you can see you're putting weight on on the arm in a straight arm and you're putting weight on it and the entire muscles are actually contracting at the same time so the challenge if you have to do this type of contraction is you have to watch out for hypertension so this is quite challenging uh, and it has a lot of, of cardio uh, pulmonary demands so that's one of the things that you need to watch out for so when somebody's doing an isometric contractions you have to watch the blood pressure okay so when you hold your breath that is when the blood pressure um, you know starts to 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 rise as well so the eccentric contraction is actually is less stressful cardiovascularly you know so rather than you know weighting dumbbells at the beginning so you might as well hold something you know give a person to hold on to something and then just let them lower it down so that's eccentric contraction so that's one it's less stressful um there's been some studies about this oh geez this has been been around so since since the 70s and the 80s and uh, uh so it is more appropriate than to be given to patients with cardiac or pulmonary conditions now the eccentric exercises are also found to be useful for treatment with patients with chronic tendinitis as well so you have to just relax and lengthen that muscle 
as well. So that is a concentric contraction. So um, another thing, or the isometric contraction, remember, it's, it's something that you can use uh, for when a person is or has a, a splint or a cast, for example. So if the leg is strength uh, is is put has been put on into a cast you know the purpose of that is to to provide stability to the to, to the bones so that the bones obviously heals properly but that's more for the bones but that's there's nothing that stops us from actually you know exercising or moving the muscles and you can achieve this movement through by doing the uh, um, the isometric contraction, so basically you're tensing up the muscle. So uh, an example is say my my leg, my knee is in kept in extension, for example, and I have a cast around my leg. Okay, I can do I can just tense up my muscles and hold on to my muscles and hold it contracting for say three seconds, one two three, and then relax. Okay. And then you do one, two, three, and then relax again. And then you do that over and over. Okay? So that is essentially the strengthening activity. Now, for the fingers, how do you strengthen the fingers? You know, there's no individual. But basically, when you try and strengthen the fingers, what you're strengthening is the grip strength and the pinch strength. You know, so how do you do that? There are some outcome measures or tools that can do this evaluation for this. And they are the outcome measures for grip strength, which is, again, it's called a dynamometer. Or you can have some pinch gauge as well. So if you remember earlier on, I mentioned to you about the grading system. So why, why it is important to know this? And this is because some of the activities, you'll be guided by what you can give to your patients. So, for example, the... Um, the, the strength of the patients is is trace or 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 one so if this the person has this uh, so they can't move but there's only flicker so what you do first is you provide a passive exercise so for two minus two or two plus what you do is you do it with um, active assistive exercises so, so you get the person to do some exercises on their own and but you assist them if they are having difficulty so you hold on to the muscles and to the joints you hold on to the limb and let them move for as much and then they'll do what they can and then if you feel that there is uh, some difficulty then you can start moving it passive, passively so it's active assist but you do this with gravity eliminated field okay so active assist now for those muscle strength with a fair minus or three minus or three plus then you can have some activities or exercises with gravity now when you are on a good or four and uh, and above then you can start to increase the resistance all right so I hope that's a little bit clear, yeah? So that's why making or having a grading system, the proper grading system for muscles is very, very important because it guides you as to what kind of activities or exercise would you be providing your patients. So, uh, so for example, if, uh, you know, to, to add on to this discussion, 
So if you have a patient whose muscle strength is actually, um, you know, they're quite weak, but they can move against gravity, you, you're just not going to give some dumbbells straight away, isn't it? Because that's adding some resistance. So you get them to do some kind of activities or exercises that is allowing them to move against gravity. So that is um, the strength. Okay, the third one that I'd like to talk to you about would be the, um, uh, the, the endurance. Actually, this should have been the second one, you know. So endurance is the ability of the person to sustain activity over a long period of time. Okay, and when you're doing some uh, endurance training, what you're also talking about resistance, here, the endurance with endurance activity, the resistance is actually minimum or static. But what you increase is the length of time that the person is doing something. Yeah. So activities and in endurance, you are technically measuring the, uh, you know, the amount of time that the person's person is engaging on things. So that's the uh, one thing and you're actually also measuring the heart rate you know or the blood pressure you know while the person is doing that uh, but in terms of practicality uh, we're not overly specific about that in nhs unless you are on the cardiac rehab okay where you're building up their activity tolerance um, so some of the activity tolerance is um, i mean again repetitive activities so you can have not weaving if you're an occupational therapist you know there are some people that are doing some some sanding activities these are back in the days where you there is a workshop for occupational therapy um, nowadays people are just cutting it short so they would just do some uh, resistance activity with a band with less resistance but they're building it up in terms of uh, of their engagement in terms of time so the last part of the biomechanical frame of reference concern is the concern particularly with edema right edema that uh, this is this is again it's almost like a different ball game altogether so there is a lot of swelling that's happening and what happens is when the muscles are in normal state and when they're contracting so they're there there's enough tension in there so that there is no uh fluid that's left on the limbs as well uh, there are plenty of causes of edema. Uh, it can be an injury um, and it can be a, you know, your heart and you have low albumin levels. So the, the blood seeps through um, uh, the, uh, um, become the extra, there's extracellular fluid as well. Or if the lymphatic drainage is not very good as well. So you would have concerns about edema. Um, again, it's a natural tendency for the body to swell up if there is an injury. So the basic principle for edema is, you know, this thing called rise. So you need to actually rest. Obviously, don't move it so much because it could be painful. Icing. And why icing can be helpful is because of the temperature has an effect on the vaso or vasoconstriction 
and vasodilation of the blood vessels, so vasos blood vessels. So dilation, it means that the blood will flow a bit more and there is a tendency for swelling. Um, and then vasoconstriction is responsive to temperature or cold temperature as well. Um, so that's rest, um, icing, compression is another thing that can minimize the edema or you can control it or it can prevent it. And how you do this is through bandaging. So there are some bandaging techniques that you need to remember how to do. Okay, so there is figure of eight. So there is uh, compression. Uh, um, I can't remember the term now, but there are some, some techniques, some bandaging techniques. Um, but nowadays, there is this thing called, the, you know, the wonder of the, uh, uh, the what, what's, what's it, tube grips. There you go. Um, it's just a general compression, so that's what th that does. And it, again, it, it holds the arm into, you know, a natural state of, with less, with less edema, actually. So, rest icing compression and then last would be E would stands for elevation so you want the upper limb it's at the end of the day it's all drainage so you want the uh, you know all these extracellular fluid to be draining back so that's why you would say in the morning there's less swelling on the legs and then in the afternoon for those people who's had some some heart situations then their legs are becoming more and more um, edematous as well so positioning is one compression is one so that's where the splint comes in that's where proper positioning comes in to play as well there you go how do you measure the edema um, you can do a tape measure yeah you can do that you can quantify edema by uh, pitting or non-pitting edema um, so that's how you would measure it or vol volumetry, volumetry, where you dip the hand in a jug and see how much water is displaced. So you can do it that way. Or you can take a video of the hand and take a picture of the hand with some references. So that's one way of measuring it. Uh, so again, this is, and these are restorative interventions. So it means that there are some problems and you are trying to treat those problems. So very much a physical dysfunction, um, and uh, particularly it's an it's an outpatient. So it's it's very very useful in hand therapy. Um, so when you're using the 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 splint, for example. So let's go back. And if you want your reasoning for that splint is to maintain the joint range, and then that splint is being used as a biomechanical tool. If you want to use uh, like um, you issue, say, these compression garments like uh, um, uh, neoprene garments and your, your objective is to minimize, to stop the arm from swelling up, then you are using it again as a biomechanical tool, okay? Uh, and, but if you're using the splint to normalize the tone or to eliminate or to prevent spasticity from coming in, then... It is a, um, it's a, in, a used as a sensory motor or neurodevelopmental uh, approach or, or uh, uh, NDT approach. So you're using it on a different frame of reference altogether. 
Okay, so simple guys, very easy. So we have spoken about biomechanical frame of reference, the joint range. We've spoken about the endurance, uh, which again, you can measure it through in increased participation and engagement. And you, we've uh, talked about uh, strength and we have talked about the edema. Okay, right. I hope you learned a little something today. And uh, if you have, then pass on and have this conversation, have this discussion amongst your peers and have the discussion. So grow together, uh, bounce ideas and talk about uh, the things that you are doing at work. So always start to question yourselves, you know, why are we doing that walking? Is it really the walking? Yes. On a functional goal? Yes. But you can convert it and say that you're doing some walking because you're working on endurance or the activity tolerance, for example, which is the ability to sustain and to engage over a long period of time. So that would be the application of that. If, for example, you want to do the, uh, what else, um, say in, in critical care, so repeated movements, repeated contractions, for example, and you're wanting to improve the strength and the activity tolerance, so you need to have that repeated contractions. So once again, you can use this biomechanical frame of reference as long as the central nervous system is intact. So with that, so stroke would be a different story. Spinal cord injury would be a different story. Um, again, head injury is a different story altogether as well. All right. Okay, guys, thank you. I think that's quite exciting. Um, until next time, just remember, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye.